everyone, and welcome to episode 233 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, starting things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going this week, Richard? Hey, Seth. What's going on? Uh, not much. Uh, excited to talk about some new standard. Uh, we have a new set in the format, so that's going to be one of our big topics today. But of course, before we get into that stuff, we have another co-host in Krim. What's up, Krim? Hey, Seth. Morning. How y'all doing? Oh, uh, I am doing pretty well. So our topics for today, pretty straightforward. It was week one, as strange as it sounds, because it feels like, of course, that 2020 has been out for like a month now, but actually it was the first week of uh, Standard with, of course, that 2020 in the paper world. So we had a big SCG open in paper, getting our first like official paper look at the format. So we wanted to talk about that. We have some craziness with some Modern Horizon cards getting really expensive. So we want to talk a little bit about kind of the financial ramifications of Modern Horizons, uh, a magic arena update kind of going back to something we talked about maybe complained about last podcast uh wizards has responded to some of the community's feedback made some changes so we're gonna hit on that and then of course answer your fish mail so that's the plan for today but let's kick things off with new standard Corsa 2020 is here. We had the first big tournament. Did either of you get to uh, watch any of the SCG Open from Worcester this weekend? I did not. I did not. But, uh, Seth, it's time to light up the stage. New set release. <laughs> Mono Red takes it down. <laughs> oh, boy. And, yes, with, with, with a bit of controversy, actually. There was like, oh, man. Wait, like, the, how can it be there? How can, never, what happened? Oh, mono blue so, versus mono red, a battle. So, so That's classic. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron earlier in the tournament, like cast a light up the stage from her hand when there was an experimental frenzy on the battlefield. So there's this like big Reddit uproar, uh, like there always is about like, is it cheating? And uh, I don't, I'm like, honestly, I'm like worried about going to. You've seen me try to shuffle a paper magic deck. You've seen me pithing needle my own pithing needle. If I, God forbid, end up on camera at GP Vegas and anything, you might as well start writing your first draft of the like Seth is cheating post because I know I'm gonna mess something up. So <laughs> it, it's proven. Seth doctors all his videos. You see him clearly cheating in paper magic. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, so yeah, the finals came down to mono red, mono blue, which is kind of funny. The more things like change, the more they stay the same. The top eight was like overflowing with newish decks. Vampires was a deck that wasn't a thing before. Of course, at 2020, Teamer Elementals is almost an M20 block deck, essentially. Boros Feather wasn't a real deck before we got to course at 2020 and got some big additions. But with all those new decks, it was two pretty old decks that have been around since the beginning of this standard, really, since last rotation. Mono Red and Mono Blue have been some of the big decks in the format. So uh, I guess that's a fine thing. Uh, what did it, what did you think of the metagame overall? Uh, so Amber Holler put Mono Red over the top. Uh <laughs> Chandra Spitfire, that's a new card, right? Uh, Fry, sideboard card that Krim was very excited yep, about. Yeah. But it, it kind of looked the same. The, the deck I'm most excited about seeing here is Orzhov Vampires, which is basically like an Ixalan block deck uh, with Thorns thrown in. 
uh, and some Gideons and a Johnnies, uh, depending on the build you have here. But basically, uh, way back when we had all the vampires and everyone was like, oh, vampires is now a thing. Well, if you add Soren to it, apparently it becomes a legitimate deck. Uh, and uh, one Esper deck holding strong here <laughs> in eighth place. So the funny thing is, guess what the most played feature in the... Uh, what is this? The top 25 decks was. Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, right, I'll give you a hint. It's like Carnage Tyrant. Oh, but smaller. I hate that card already. <laughs> shifting, shifting Ceratops. <laughs> shifting Ceratops. 24 copies. Uh, all the Simic decks, uh, Nexus decks and things, had it in the sideboard because apparently uh, nobody wanted to lose the Teferi this week. Four <laughs> mana, five, four. Can't be countered. Pro blue. Can't be bounced by Teferi's. Uh, and then for a green mana, reach, trample, or haste until end of turn. It's definitely a really good card, and I mean, mono blue was one of the one of the final decks in the tournament, so it helps against uh, other decks outside of Esper too. Very, na- very uh, good mono blue there. Dodged a few uh, <laughs> few of the dinosaurs. I mean, that that card is absurd. I actually also had a blast with it over the the weekend because. Uh, at, as much as it pains me to say that I like uh, that I, I had fun using the card because you know it is very anti me. Uh, I I did try to hit mythic without <laughs> blue this weekend and uh, or this past week, and I did it with dinosaurs. And this card is the truth. I I actually put together dinosaurs this weekend too, and I didn't really think it through. And I was like played <laughs> I played uh, two marauding raptors on the first turn and then played by shifting ceratops oh. and it died and my opponent <laughs> said oops and then I scooped and was like I'm gonna play something else. <laughs> I definitely am guilty of that. I did the uh, the cerat the, like the marauding raptor into the Odapec Huntmaster <laughs> and I was like hmm what happened to my Huntmaster? I, th- I was like screaming for a bug. <laughs> the only bug was the user error. <laughs> <laughs> so, bringing back around to our tournament this weekend, uh, it looks like a pretty diverse meta. Like, even just in the top eight, we have seven different decks, I think. Two Orzhov Vampires and everything else is fairly unique uh, as far as the top eight decks. And even through the rest of the top 25, and if you go and look at, like, SCG, you can see the top, I don't even know, 64, some really big number of decks. And it looks like a fairly diverse format right now, which is pretty exciting considering uh, we just had a core set, which often isn't hugely impactful, and we're getting close to rotation. So seeing a diverse standard over the summer... Uh, is pretty neat. Uh, so what are you expecting next weekend? Like, is there anything from this tournament that you are especially excited to see moving forward for the rest of the summer towards rotation? I'm excited to see no to fairies. I am not. <laughs> and there's still three fairy, so we still have that. I mean, Teferi was, like, super, un- you know, underrepresented here. You know, given the state of Teferi coming in... I don't like nobody played Teferi apparently. Uh, just very few Teferis compared to what we had coming in. Whether that's, uh, you know, Krim was just taking a break and he's coming <laughs> back with a tuned Teferi list next week, uh, ready to warp I'm the meta game. I'm dusting off or, my absorbs. Give me a second. <laughs> or, or Ceratops is the real deal and you just don't <laughs> want to be playing Teferi anymore. I, I don't know. But it's also uh, week one standard. You know, control decks are usually not that good in week one standard. So maybe we'll see Teferi come back, but. I was actually surprised. I was expecting not to see too much change in M20, uh, but we we actually have quite a diverse metagame, so we'll see how that holds out. 
I'm I, I guess one thing that unless I missed it, I don't see anything with the Simic Flood of Tears combo deck. So maybe we could see more of that in the coming weeks. Yeah, that was a deck I think people were kind of excited or hoping to see, and we hadn't really seen that. I know also like floating under the radar a little bit. If you get outside of the top eight to like top thirty two, top sixty four, there's a couple of pretty interesting scapeshift lifts, uh lists that made it like Bant Scapeshift. There was a straight Simic Scapeshift deck that are kind of like playing the value like mid rangey plan, but can also just scapeshift into a huge board of zombies so i think that's another one i would add into the list along with like flood of tears that maybe is going to have a chance moving forward yeah and i i still one thing though the the card that i i I think i'm most excited for from m20 that i expect to see a whole lot more of will be knight of the uh, ebon legion that card is so good for a one drop (laughs) <laughs> that thing, oh, that that is a one-two that immediately becomes like a. You, you can pump it; it becomes you know absurdly huge, and it can happen in multiples. And on top of that, pairs very well with the Danto Vanguard. Well, yeah, that'll rotate, that- but like <laughs> even even after rotation, that card is still sweet because it doesn't care which player loses the four as long as a player lost four on your turn. Yeah, it's a, it is really powerful. I think I definitely underrated, uh, Knight of the Even Legion because uh, I've played against it so many times and the pump ability is a lot better than I kind of gave it credit for. It's just so hard to interact with in the late game. And because it grows itself with those plus one, plus one counters, you can't really not interact with it. Like, if you just leave it out, it's going to just grow to a 2-3 and then a 3-4 and kill you that way. But if you try to block it, your opponent can just pump it, give it death touch. So, yeah, I've been very impressed with Knight 2. That's kind of, I guess, one of the staples of the Vampire deck that was, I guess, alongside Elementals, probably the breakout M20 deck, I would say, at the tournaments this weekend. Yeah, I and I, I think that card is so good that it, it doesn't have to be just in Vampires. Uh, you've seen other people put it in like, just like a Rakdos aggro deck. I, I memed around. I was climbing the, the mythic ladder into the higher mythic ladder with a Grixis aggro deck. And I was just like, well, I like Nico Bolas, but I also want to see how good this Knight of the Ebon Legion is. And the card is so good. It even carries that. So, uh, <laughs> like, like trying to play Nico Bolas, getting fried, whatever. Check this out. This one drop, amazing. So, if you look at the sideboard of these lists, uh, there are a ton of Ether Gusts and Veil of Summers. So, Ether Gust is counter uh, a red or green spell, and Veil of Summer is draw a card. If an opponent has cast a blue or black spell, spells you control can't be countered. You and permanence you control gain hexproof from blue and black. So, two fairly strong color hosers, and we talked about Fry and Mono Red. What do you guys think about? Kind of these M20 color hosers just showing up in numbers. Ether, Gust, and Veil of Summer, third and fourth most played cards after negate and opt for spells. Huge. It really goes further than that because you were just talking about Shifting Ceratops being one of the most played creatures, and that's kind of another hate card, really. It's one of the protection cycle. And if you go further down the list, uh, Cerulean Drake, another one <laughs> of the protection from a color hate cards, is the fourth most played creature. So we see these cards having a massive impact immediately. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times you see, like you see people accidentally, you know, they're playing chain. Chain Whirler thinking Chain Whirler just kills Drake. Drake just sits there, and you would think a 1-1 with protection from red, it's like, yeah, whatever, but it it's very hard to deal with. And Ether Gust, 
especially now after seeing how many shifting ceratops are in like you know like overall like the most popular creature like there's no way you're not playing ether gust moving forward like in maybe higher quantities because it's not countering the spell which is what's great it's just pretty much taking it off the stack which is perfect Dude, so that's so sneaky i hate cards that do this yeah i i, I love it i love it because it's like ah okay so it's there like, are I it can't be countered spells. like oh no you got countered son just put yeah. it at the bottom of your library <laughs> it's better than a counter because even after its resolution you still put it you could do something to it which is why these cards are so good i I think that these cards are really good for standard, and I'm really excited to have, uh, like, playable color hosers and the protection creatures back. I think they're really important kind of safety valve type cards. Like, Shifting Ceratops, it's really essential to have that with, like, mono blue aggro being on the uprise, or the Drake, really important with mono red aggro always being one of the best decks in standard. So I really like that there's a risk to going all in on one strategy too heavily, and you have to, like, consider these cards. And I I think you should, if you're gonna be the I mono blue, I'm gonna play every counter in standard and draw cards with Curious Obsession, there should be a card that like punishes you for choosing to play that strategy for a single green mana set though oh that, <laughs> okay, that one does feel extreme? bad that does feel pretty bad i think i, I mean, cried yeah. multiple times casting a thought erasure <laughs> like i'm okay with the shifting Sarah. that thing is expensive but like i don't know some of these like veil of summers like i mean i'm just salted over limited where they have color hosers and you're like wow if you were paired against another deck, your deck would suck, but it's awesome against mine, so I'm super salty. I, but <laughs> uh, there's, like, one mana things, like, it's tough. Like, I think these are the reasons you can't play it to fairy, right? Like, I don't know. It's it's so efficient. Like, could they not at least be, like, two or three mana to give you a fighting chance on the other side? To fairy is the truth. To fairy's the truth. <laughs> to fairy stops... The Veil of Summer, because you can't do oh, it on my true. turn. If you actually can't do get it ever, fairy down. deal with this card now. <laughs> really, though, like, we had Autumn's Veil. Autumn's Veil was in M11 and M12, I think, which is pretty close to the same card. I guess the new one, Veil of Summer, which I don't know why it switched seasons. That's kind of strange to me, but it is an upgrade because <laughs> it draws a card. But other than the drawing a card part, Autumn's Veil is the same sort of uh, hosiery effect. Yeah, I mean, I guess we have. Cel- we used to have like Celestial Purge, and then I forgot what the red one is that can't be countered. Oh, I mean, we used to have Chill and Choke. <laughs> okay, Choke Choke is a little old choke school Choke is good here. old fair magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you imagine for... choke against mono blue aggro? Oh, I, mean, I wouldn't feel <laughs> one, t- one time. I would love to do that. That would I be bet the you best. it wouldn't even be good. You play it, they spell pierce it, you die. I mean, like everything slow. else you try to do, it doesn't resolve. <laughs> or like chill against mono red. Chill, chill is almost as brutal. I think. I think it's just red spells cost two more to cast yep. on a two mana enchantment. <laughs> It just like so we've come a long way with color hosers. Uh, I I think by comparison to chills and chokes, the ones we have today are pretty fair. All right, so what's worse, like veil? Okay, Krim, what's worse for you, veil of summer or shifting ceratops? Look, I'm not gonna lie to you. I feel like veil of summer (laughs) because because although it automatically resolves, I have things like ether gust, d spark. It not having hexproof turns out. Makes me not as uh, upset with the cart. It's like okay, cool, but then Carnage Tyrant is just just very rude. <laughs> even even with Ceratops legal, I still will point out I hate Carnage Tyrant. <laughs> so I gotta ask you, Grim. 
what do you think about Esper for the rest of the summer? Richard mentioned, and really the the top 64 decks also bear out that this was not an esper weekend. And it is week one. Week one's often aggressive. There's a couple of, like, a few Esper hero decks, I guess, scattered through the top 64. No, just straight-up Esper control. I guess there's a couple of, like, Esper super friends at, like, 60th place. Uh, is Esper not tier one for the rest of the summer, Krim, uh, being our Esper expert? I would say that Esper will definitely have to evolve, change in some ways. The numbers aren't perfect. Like Richard had mentioned, it's the, the first week, so... You know, not a lot of people will play a super controlling game plan. They're going to also try out new things. Like, uh, if you look at the eighth place list, I thought it's really sweet. They have Tonebound Lich. Um, and you know, there's going to be more things moving forward. And once you figure out what needs to be answered, you can start, you know, like if there are enough green and red things, I might even start mainboarding some of these hate cards just like as a medical. So uh, I think moving forward, it, it's still one of the better. <laughs> Uh, color combinations because of the diverse amount of answers you have within the format. Oh man, I I was so salty this morning. I was trying to build this mono green boggles deck for budget magic, and I had everything set up perfectly. I had like a fifteen power paradise druid. I went to attack. I was going to win the game, and they had the the green the black color hoser that like destroys a greater white uh, creature planeswalker in their main deck in their main deck who plays they, that they in their main also. deck uh, yeah, th- yes they gained a life also and that was really relevant in how the game played out I ended up one damage short because they were playing it in their main deck oh, Safran Olive oh color hosers are great we need them for standard two minutes later oh my god this guy played a color hoser Got they're, they're, they're great when they're not played against me. Yeah, they're great for me when I draw them against my opponent, but when my opponent gets them, they're just dirty. I have I have to assume it triggers a little bit of salt though when when you have it main deck. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. I kind of just want to do that for fun sometime. Just put all the color hosers in and lose every game, but just randomly make people salty. <laughs> So, so any more, uh, standard thoughts on this weekend, standard going forward before we move forward into other topics? Wow. Uh, yeah, no, n- nothing more than just the color hoses are really good. Like Simic Nexus, you know, probably one of my, my least favorite archetypes, um, has Veil of Summer and Aether Gust, probably two of the, like, sweetest, <laughs> sweetest color hoses. So I, I am very not okay with that. But yeah, okay, sure, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say. Just like Nexus getting those, those color hoses has been painful yeah uh, one one last thing to point out the prices are hilarious for this event so the paper price of the winner 54 dollars for mono red aggro uh mono blue aggro 38 dollars uh if you're looking at magic online 16 tickets versus four tickets uh, <laughs> and then the rest of the top eight team are elementals 400 dollars so mono blue aggro coming in at one tenth the price of team or elementals uh so we have a very wide range of decks vampires two hundred dollars bant four hundred boros feather two hundred uh and then you have the sub 50 decks and the monocolor decks so a very interesting spread of prices uh for the standard so far also it's good that there's some budget options at least yeah well definitely that and the fact that the mono red deck actually when you look at it there are some sweet things we did kind of just gloss over with the I do really like Chandra's Spitfire. 
think that's a sweet card. And the three mana Chandra, which is showing up in multiple formats. So I yeah, think those are I think sweet cards. Three mana Chandra, a little bit better than I thought. In uh, in the mono red deck, it's kind of mostly like a double snapcaster and casting two lightning strikes or whatever. Pretty powerful, like uh, definitely a powerful card. What do you think? Last question on standard. What do you make of this teamer elementals deck? Is this a real deck that we should be looking out to kind of cement itself in the top tier of standard over the summer, or is this like? People trying new things, excited about the new cards, and it's going to kind of fade away as people adjust to it. I think it's the truth, I, especially when rotation happens. It loses almost nothing, except it for, is. like, Hinterland Harbor and stuff like that, but everything else. Yeah, it's basically a block deck. Like, I think literally every... Well, I guess there's a couple Living Twisters in some builds, but essentially every creature in Planeswalker is from Corset 2020, so uh, yeah, not going anywhere at rotation, so I guess if that's something you're concerned about, seems like one of the better decks to possibly buy into if you're trying to look ahead. Yeah, I think it's also uh, very powerful. Risen Reef is just such a good engine. Cavalier of Thorns was, I think, pretty underrated during spoiler season. It looked really good in pretty much every time I saw it on camera. Uh, the ability to just shut down huge flyers is super relevant. Against Mono Blue, there's random, like, Lyras and Feathers, and Cavalier Thors is just one of the best walls you can have in the format. So, yeah, I think the Elemental deck, I'm definitely looking at it to develop into a Tier 1 deck, too. Yeah, all the cards are individually powerful. Like, they they're synergistic, but you don't really need the synergy. So that's why I think, uh, you know, it'll, it'll stick around. Uh, but we're talking about rotation proof, like $400 get a rotation proof deck or $40 to get a deck you throw away at rotation. Like, I don't know. Like, we have some budget options in the format. So it might be better to go with the budget option and then just chuck it all and start again with rotation. Uh, yeah, but then you have to play mono red or mono blue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Ah, uh, but come on, now you have, like, Chandra's and stuff in Mono Red. You, I you think... can activate your, your Tybalt's and your Chandra's. It's so much fun. It's like playing Esper, but they're red. I would definitely <laughs> warn people... Ag- <laughs> I would definitely warn people against picking up the Vampire deck, if that's a concern, because you literally lose, like, every card in that deck. You get to keep Soren and Knight of the Even Legion and, like, every other vampire rotates. So they're going to have to print a lot of vampires in the fall set for that deck to actually remain playable. Knight of the Even Legion, though, a good carry card regardless. That Soren, I think, is a little riskier. But, yeah, yeah. Knight is going to see play somewhere just as a good one-drop. I, I definitely agree with that. So, it's Orzov, so we're one blue away from Esper. Krim already likes Knight of the Even <laughs> Yep. So, yep. uh, Teferi Orzov <laughs> vampires coming in. Esper <laughs> Esper vampires. Esper <laughs> midrange could kind of change in actually bringing a Knight of the Even Legion. I'm not even kidding. All right. So let's move on from the world of standard to the world of modern, or really the world of modern horizons. And modern horizons, it is reacted pretty strangely for a newly released set. We're like, a little over a month, I think, around a month since it released, and it's actually been increasing significantly in price over that time. Usually when a set comes out, uh, it starts off really high and then just kind of drops in price as it's open. Modern Horizons is going basically in the opposite direction. If you look at the full set price, it was as low as like 515, and now it's up to like 620 over the last month. And uh, there's a bunch of cards that have been increasing. The biggest one that kind of uh, brought 
brought us to this conversation, though, is Renin 6. The two-mana Planeswalker is pushing $100 in both paper and on Magic Online after being uh, $25 like a month ago. So what's going on with Renin 6 and with Modern Horizons in general? Jund, there's like a Jund deck recently that uh, has like all the Planeswalkers. Also, I think Renin 6 is played in older formats, right? Like legacy. It, what formats are we talking about here? We're talking about modern. We're talking about legacy. Yeah. Is there any vintage play for Renin Six? Um, slight vintage play. I think the big formats are modern Jund, and then also a bunch of different decks in Legacy. Yeah, I mean, I I guess when it's played in that many formats, I could see it going up. Also, it is a mythic still. Yeah. So so. What would your advice be to someone that doesn't have Red and Six, but wants Red and Six? Like, what do you think the future holds for these cards? I think is probably the more interesting topic. Is $100 Ren and Six, or I guess right now it's $90, but is that a price that we should expect to stick around, or is it just going to decrease? What do you guys think about that? So, Seth, remind me, is Modern Horizons a limited print run, or was it <sighs> the unlimited print? <laughs> so... Modern Horizons is not limited print run, but there's a bit of confusion on the topic because uh being not limited print run just means that when it runs out, Wizards will reprint more of it for like six months or some period of time. I don't think we know the exact period of time, but for some period of time. The thing is, though, it needs to sell out for that to happen. So if everyone is just buying Corset 2020 and Modern Horizons is not selling out, then Wizards isn't going to just like keep printing it if there's already boxes on the shelf. So I think that even though it's unlimited print run, my thinking is because of this really short window to M20, uh, and maybe to some extent like the popular of Arena, that's another like client that's competing for people's magic dollars. Um, I think it's still going to be a fairly under-open set and might resemble more of a master set, even though master sets are limited print run, just because I'm not sure that that many people are buying Modern Horizons. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, there, maybe that there's multiple things at play here, making it so that Modern Horizons isn't selling out. And, rent, yeah. like, you can now just, like, what is it, 200 retail or whatever for a box? You can take the Ren 6 lottery... That's like already half the box, and then you get more value. I mean, I, don't know. I, I maybe buying yeah. the box is pretty solid now. Yeah, that's actually I've been looking around the last couple of days to pick up some boxes because that's kind of my conclusion too. And I think the future of these cards, um, because even though it is unlimited supply, Wizards isn't going to be reprinting it like you know, next winner or whatever. Like, it's going to run out and they're not going to reprint it anymore. And I think that the long-term future of these cards, they have potential to be really expensive. And I was looking at the EV yesterday. I think that if you just go by, like, TCG mid prices, the average box is actually going to be profitable right now at current prices. And when you consider, like, how expensive a lot of these cards could be in a year or two, uh, to me, it feels like a really sound investment because right now the main cards that are expensive are like Ren and Six, Force of Navigation, Urza, Season Pyromancer. Those are cards that have kind of broken out in modern. Also, Hex Drinker doubled in price this week uh, to like twenty five dollars, twenty three dollars. Uh, so we see the modern staples already high in price, but there's a lot of like lower tier cards that I think could end up being pretty expensive eventually. Be it from playing like Commander or cards that just 
haven't really found their footing in modern yet, but have potential to get there eventually. So I think, uh, I think it's a pretty smart investment at this point, because it seems unlikely that most of these cards are going to be reprinted anywhere in the next year or two. There's no master sets. Most of them are not cards that I think Wizards would feel comfortable putting in Standard, or they won't be on flavor for Standard. So it feels like these cards could end up really expensive in a year or two, and a lot of them already are pretty expensive. Yeah, I mean, not all, like so. Example like, rent like if you're playing Ren and Sixes, those are more than Liliana the Veils out of Jund, which is by the way, Richard once again Jund is back, I guess. And on top <laughs> of that, it's more expensive than ever. Great, um, Hogox gone, Hogox gone, <laughs> Fairdex galore. It's these sets have not just Ren and Six, but you have like what Plague Engineer, which is now like at eight dollars. And then you have nurturing peatland and, and and all these other lands. Let's let's not even get into like you know yeah like th- there's just so many things from the set that's you know they kind of add up. They're like about eight to like twenty dollars. Like the lands you have plague engineer and then of course you have Ren and six the probably chase card. Um, there, there's just a lot in Modern Horizons right now that I'd probably try so to just get. Do these prices concern? you know, make you worry about the health of modern. Because uh, this means that people aren't opening the packs. So that could mean two things. It could mean the culmination of M20 and Magic Arena. People uh, just are overwhelmed with Magic and they're focusing on standard. Or it could mean that people just don't like modern anymore. Uh, you know, what, what, what do these high prices mean? Because like you guys said, if the prices are so high, I'll just go crack a box uh, you know, sell my two random sixes, use the rest of the cards, which is a great plan if I have a use for the modern cards. But if I'm not going to play modern, then it's just a lot of work that kind of gets me nowhere. So do these high prices mean that people aren't interested in modern anymore? Like what, where does this leave us? Cause we haven't really seen kind of this trend where a set is released, the box EV is positive and then continues to grow positive after release. It's like really weird. Wouldn't it mean yeah. that? Modern is in a better place because there's more demand for certain cards. Also, though, yeah, I mean, there's kind of yeah, like the the two edged uh, two edged sword there to some extent because like force of negation, that's like forty five dollars because people want it for modern. But maybe I don't know. I don't think I read too much into it about modern's format health at all. I really think it's. Uh, more to do with like the release windows being a really expensive set. Uh, and a lot of people just when you could buy two boxes of a uh, course at 2020, or you could buy all four commander decks for the same price as a single box of modern horizons. Uh, I think that a lot of people will choose those other options because it is kind of a specialty market to some extent when you're selling these packs that have cards that you can't play within standard. Uh, there's some good commander cards, but if you want like the first sliver, you're probably better off buying a copy for $20 rather than hoping to open one. So I, I don't really see it to be any indictment of modern's possible, uh, of modern's like potential or where it's at right now. I think it's more just, uh, modern prizes is a weird set. We've never had a set like this before. And the release window is also really weird on top of it. So now that the dust has kind of settled, what is our take on modern horizons versus a modern masters type set? What, what would we like to see in the next modern set? Another, you know, MH2 or MM3? MH2. Ooh. MH2. I, I, I snap fire that off. <laughs> 
I actually, I would agree, except I would say I would like to see MH2 have a little more master set in it. Like, I really love Modern Horizons, and I definitely want more of it. But I also think that we do need more reprint spots for some of the most expensive cards in Modern. And while Modern Horizons was awesome, it didn't really do much as far as reprinting cards. So maybe, like, new cards, but get rid of the rule where you can't reprint cards that were already in Modern. Because I know, like, Fetchlands, for example, we really need those at some point to be reprinted. And if we only have Modern Horizons and they stick to the rule where you can't print any cards that are already in the format. I don't know where we're ever going to get Fetchlands reprinted. They're going to end up $200 a piece or something. In the co- Commander Commander 2019 or 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. Yeah. But I, I mean, I get... So I, I understand where Krim was coming from. I want to see new cards, right? Uh, so when, when Wizards promises me a set of new cards to modern, if I start seeing reprints, because you know if they put Fetchlands in, they're going to put Comet Storms in, right? So yeah. when I open those packs, <laughs> I am going to feel extremely upset. So I understand why they have that policy, and maybe the answer is two modern sets a year. I don't, I don't know what, right? But I, I do want to see more new cool cards like Ren and Six and, and all those... Uh, just designed for modern cards. Uh, and, you know, we'll get the Herder, Commander Horizons, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think just having new cards in modern makes the set infinitely more exciting than just reprints. Because that's just the finance aspect of the game. And a lot of people ignore it. Either they have enough money such that it doesn't matter or it's too expensive for them anyway. So, you know, it, there's no excitement in it, right? But new cards. Everyone loves new cards. Yeah. It'd be just like kind of like one gigantic core set, but for modern. <laughs> okay, so we're reprinting Choke with like a whole cycle around it. Yep. Uh. yep. But, but also you throw in some new cards on top. I think that's what they could do. A little bit like what Seth said. They just kind of do away with the whole we won't reprint anything. You do uh, you do some reprints. And on top of that, you make, you, you make a bunch of new cards. So it's just like one huge set, uh, for modern. Cause I think it kind of has to be if with the, how, with, with what modern needs. All right. I have fixed, I have fixed everyone's problems. Okay. We're making new fetch lands, but they exile themselves when you sacrifice them. <laughs> Hence, you get fetch lands for modern and then they don't feel the graveyard for broken decks. But, but, okay. Ren, but what are you going to do with Ren and Six then, Richard? <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's, why, why are you trying to hurt your own deck right now? <laughs> <laughs> you make a, you make a Ren and Seven that gets Ren cards seven from the graveyard from, uh, from the exile zone. <laughs> Ren and Seven, there it is. <laughs> One mana planeswalker, by the way. <laughs> One mana planeswalker. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that that like is a very cool idea, though the uh, the idea of new cards and you know obviously like it, d- it makes the, like you know more design space where you get to pl- like make sweeter cards a little higher on the power level because you know it's not going into standard. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe we do see some sweet lands. Like, I love the idea of these canopy lands or whatever, horizon lands, whatever you want to call them, right? Uh, I, I, we settled on for that. I, I call them, I call them canopies, but. Yeah, I, yeah, I also call them canopy weird. lands. But, but they're from modern horizons, and horizon is in the name of the original as well. <laughs> Magic players are weird. 
Yeah, I, it's sure. <laughs> I don't know. Call it whatever you want. I, all I know <laughs> is that just like that, those cards were a great idea. Maybe we do see something like new moving forward. Maybe like special types of fetch lands. Like I did like, you know, the fetch land that searched for a basic super evolving wilds. Um, and, 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 you know, the return of snow cards was pretty sweet. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I like this. I like, what Modern Horizons did, so I'd rather see that more than a reprint, but um, of course, you know, there are things in need for Modern, like, you know, not everyone just has had Scalding Tarn since day one, right? So you kind of do need to reprint those and maybe you just put it all in one set. I think, I gotta say, I think that Modern Horizons was a pretty big success, though. Like, as far, one of the concerns was is this going to, like, break modern we know wizards doesn't test modern nearly as much as a test standard and when you hear i'm going to throw a bunch of new really powerful cards into modern everyone's first thought was okay like this sounds like it could be cool but it also sounds like it could really break things and yes wizards missed with hogak they really need to learn about free spells i don't know how they haven't learned the free spell lesson yet because i thought everyone knew we'll combine two free spell (laughs) mechanics you should have just added phyrexian mana to that and we would have hit the trifecta. <laughs> but but really, outside of Hogak, which predictably problematic being a free spell, the modern metagame seems to have actually gotten arguably healthier from the release of Modern Horizon. We're seeing like fair decks like Jund be a thing again, and a lot of the things that have gotten support are actually really fun, cool new additions to the format. So I feel like, other than the Hogak miss, they kind of nailed it with uh, a lot of their designs in this set, too. To, to be honest, I don't even think Hogak was bad. I don't. I, I think the cards that were in the deck, like, you know, Bridge from Below, were a little absurd. Things that kind of had to go a long time ago anyways. Okay. So I, I, I don't mind Hogak, but keep in mind you're asking someone that also just plays... No less than four Path to Exiles and nothing but Exile <laughs> effects, right? But <laughs> Path to Exile, yeah. Snapcaster, Path to Exile, Settle the Wreckage. I'm good. There's no problem. I don't know why card. everyone's complaining about this card. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I, I, I actually don't think it's that bad. I think it's a, a fun card. And, you know, yeah, the, I, I am a little concerned about that Altered of Dementia still in the format. Um, that is a, that seems it's always been a problematic card. It's powerful in commander. It's obviously going to be absurd in modern. Um, but I don't think that card was a problem. So for me, the most, the, the entire set was, was a hit to me. I was, my issue was whether I, I wasn't worried about whether or not, you know, any of these cards were going to break modern. I was more concerned if anyone would even see play in modern. Um, because that, that was the concern. I, for me, at least with the beginning of the set, everything in modern so powerful, so efficient, so quick, you know, are, are these new cards going to just show up and be like, Hey, you want to play a slowed down version of, I don't know, X spell, but instead it actually made a huge splash. So I'm very happy. All right. So, uh, any other modern horizons thoughts before we move on to our last topic of the day, which is uh magic arena news N- ninjas are fun. <laughs> <laughs> ninjas, ninjas are fun. I have a confession. Him. I have a confession. I have not been playing as much Esper. Uh, I've been playing Saltite Fairy Ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm surprised you haven't tried to splash to Fairy. I, I mean, can, can I don't want to break anything. the deck yet. We don't need it banned out of the format yet. So we're gonna let it let it sink in for a little bit, and then we break it. Uh, so anyway, we got some big Magic Arena news. Uh, last week we talked about the mastery system, the mastery tree. There was some kind of negative feedback about 
the specifics of how the system worked. And Wizards came out a few days ago, said there was some updates, changes coming. So, Richard, what is going on with the Mastery System on Arena? All right. So one of the big complaints with the original Mastery System, besides no one understanding what it was, uh, was... All of your rewards were tied to daily rewards, so if you missed a day, uh, you were super punished. And uh, there's two problems with that. One, you, you feel punished and you feel uh, the need to play every day, creating addictive behavior. But then two, you also can't finish your mastery tree because you just lost a bunch of experience and then there's no way to, to get that back. So wizards uh, listened to all the feedback and they changed the way experience is doled out. So now, instead of tying them to uh, your daily wins and your quests, uh, the experience points have been brought back to the weekly rewards. So you get 250 per win, up to 15 wins uh, throughout the week. And then your quests, instead of giving you 800 experience, give you 500. And then your daily wins give you zero now. And then they also mentioned there will be a bunch of events and ways to get bonus experience. Uh, throughout the season uh, so that we can actually finish the tree because when we talked last time we were like how do you finish the tree there's not enough experience here but uh, with the chronicle events and things like that they'll be giving out experience so that you can actually complete your tree and then they had uh, this like nice little graphic here where is if you played once a week previously you would have just hit level 32 now you would hit level 67 uh, and then twice a week, it would be 46 to 74, three times a week, 90 to 94. So basically, you can play once or twice a week and not be super behind compared to someone who plays every day. Yeah, really, really big update, really. I think this solves a lot of the big complaints that people had because I think the most legitimate complaint is it was pretty punishing for people that if you can only play in the weekend because you're busy with job and family or whatever, you would only play one day a week or something like that, this doubles the amount of XP you're going to earn if you're one of those type of players. And I think that it means that assuming you put some value in the cosmetic rewards that you get, I think that this is worth it for basically everyone now. If you just look at it purely from a financial perspective, if once a week players are going to hit level 67, you get enough rewards at level 67 that it's going to be worth the cost of buying this, assuming you put like even any small amount of value in getting the cosmetic items. And then as an aside... If you get the mastery cat and you spam click it, you can lag out your opponent (laughs) and people have been getting banned for doing it. So uh, if you're getting desperate against the fairies, don't don't spam click your your cat. You're going to get banned. And uh, I I don't know why they released a cat that would lag the client. But (laughs) honestly, I wonder how many people just got banned not knowing what they were doing and just I, I would I would hope that they actually evaluate and see that someone's doing it maliciously as opposed to I'm bored I'm just clicking and but but you see like it does look bad if someone it it looks bad on their part in their defense if like they're just button mashing the cat but the reason why they're doing it is because like a nexus player is taking forever and you know like taking all the turns so they're just like well what am I going to do I guess I'll like that's literally super the saying cat and then it's for like the okay. cat like there's yeah, a board, like, like, you know, Hearthstone, like, you know, you gotta pop the pumpkins or whatever, yeah, right? Like, exactly. you have nothing to do. It's trained behavior. Like, what did they expect people to do with this cat? Like, did they not <laughs> test the one thing people would do with the cat? I'm, like, very confused. 
or maybe they oh. did test it and the secret is out and this <laughs> they wanted to show you the power level of the cat and it's not it is pay to win <laughs> I, I want to see I, someone do that at the mythic invitational <laughs> i mean richard last week weren't you saying that you wanted the cat to be part of the game yeah, well, <laughs> like, wasn't that our richard. podcast last week <laughs> turns out watsy watsy did it just for me thank you watsy oh um, oh and i heard by the way just to say just bring this up that last week i uh, seth said some uh, absurd things that i was not here to defend about how the reef the Saltai Reef deck or whatever, Risen Reef, is better than the best three drop in the game or whatever. That's weird because I remember another three drop in the game right now that starts with a T named Teferi. Just saying. Oh, I gotta I gotta slip that in when you're not around. That's a, if you're around, I can't say Risen no Reef here? is better okay, than cool. Teferi, but uh, but I mean I think that Wizards does deserve a little criticism for the cat. Like if you're gonna make this like kind of the central thing of this mastery system probably wanted to test it first to make sure people uh, wouldn't be able to leg up the game with it because that is why the cat's there is to click on and uh, if you can't click on the cat what's the point of this other than to just like part people with their gems so i don't know yeah so negative for the cat but kudos for listening to the daily feedback and going to weekly rewards to uh, reward the more casual player, right? Because not everyone is like a hardcore player logging every day. So yes, we like to complain and meme about the cat, but I think the XP changes are great for the players. And I was frankly surprised that they actually did it because I thought they were trying to push the predatory behavior to, you know, make people play the game more and up their numbers. So kudos to Wizards for that part. Yeah, you gotta give them credit. Uh, Wizards, not always great with their first attempt at things, but they are open to feedback and they do actually make changes based on feedback and we're seeing a good example of it here and yeah i think i actually like the mastery system now like i i actually am thinking i might just get it for myself i don't really want the cat i still don't really uh, like the cat i uh, but i think you can turn it off but i think it's gonna be worth it for me to buy it when last week when we were talking about it i was like i don't know like maybe it'll be worth it for me but now with these changes uh, i think i'm i'm on board with getting the mastery pack. Uh, the man that plays magic for like five hours a day, every day. You gotta the mastery pass is worth it. <laughs> you gotta you gotta win games though, Richard. You gotta get uh, at least at least those fifteen wins. Uh, it's it's not a participation reward. Have you, you ever have watched against odds? <laughs> I play a lot there of should, magic. There should be not the pity rewards. <laughs> you know, if you lose five times it counts as a win. You get some experience for it. Oh, they, yeah, they should just do that. <laughs> the pity pack also. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, I think that were those were all of our main topics for today. So, fish mail time? All right. If you have questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. First question, 11 vicious. What is the harm in unbanning the entire modern ban list for three months, then remaking the ban list with actual problematic cards? Just do it with the warning label. When purchasing these cards, they may not be legal for long. Uh, so, I guess... What does unbanning do, though? I mean, I, it's really it's really fun. Like, I, I like the I, idea of it, but, like, what does it actually do? I feel it's not constructive because you know there are certain cards that are just terribly broken oh yeah so whatever you learn from this experiment is not relevant because you will be banning those cards anyway 
Yeah. Like, you, you can't just leave. I, I don't know. There's just cars that we know are broken. So I, I don't know that that would work. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was going to say. There's a concern of people like spending a bunch of money and getting burnt, although the warning would help there. But I think what Richard said is a bigger issue. Like, I have Ugid. We know what Eldrazi winner was like. We know how busted that deck was. Uh, if we do unban everything, are we just going to have, like, one or two decks that are so much better than everything else? All we really learn is, like, oh, yeah, I have Ugin. That actually was really busted. Or, like, oh, Skull Clamp. <laughs> yeah, that actually should have been banned. So I, I don't know if you really would get the full experience that you were hoping for. I think instead it would just be a couple of really busted decks that dominated everything. Yeah. I would I would like to see like exhibition matches or something of like no bandless modern. Like that would be cool. So, like during the pro tour, when they have downtime, they just have some exhibition matches with like cards that could be and then you see what happens. Or maybe like just do like a partial. Like I think there is probably half the ban list. Almost everyone would agree like that's not going to be good for modern. But then the other half of the bad list is more like the debated half where you can actually, you can make arguments about Splinter Twins and Birthing Pods and Stoneforge Mystics, even some of the cantrips. You can make arguments for Ponder and whatnot. Like maybe unban the cards that are at least like there's a chance that maybe they would be okay, even if it's a slight chance. Yeah. That might be a more reasonable experience, uh, experiment than unbanning the stuff that we know is just super degenerate. I mean, Ancient Stirrings is legal in the format. Please, let me just have a Ponder or a Preordain. Okay, maybe Ponder, but Preordain is a bit too powerful. But okay, I I, I would say Ponder is fine. It is? You think Preordain is more powerful than Ponder? I think so. Oh, wait, no, no. I have the effects reversed. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I only draw a card and then scry two. So, uh, hold on. No, 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 no. Other <laughs> good other old one. serum visions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when I first switched from legacy to modern, I like cried every time I cast a serum vision. I'm like, what is this garbage card? <laughs> yeah. I, All right. I, I think some of the cantrips are totally fine. Though. Although I, I, I just really dislike Ancient Stirrings as a card, but it, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, if that's going to stay in the format, if Faithless Looting is going to stay in the format, I think the can some of the cantrips on there can come off the ban list. Uh, remember the time where we had Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time? I do, oh, yeah. I do, <laughs> and that and you know what the funny the taxi thing is? Probe. Ah, uh, yes. Like, like Treasure Cruise was such a problem. It was so, such a bigger problem that Dig Through Time just kind of slid under the radar. It's like, yeah, look at this card. It's so bad for the format. Good thing I'm just also going to like pull two cards I want. <laughs> All right. Flying Zebra. Should competitive EDH have a different ban list or should they just reban Protean Hulk? With Paradox Engine banned, there's no reason not to play... TNT Flash Hulk in the current meta. Do you think Paradox Engine was that much worse than Hermit, Doomsday, or Scepter? Oh boy. Uh, so I should first say I don't know much about the CEDH meta, so I, I have no idea. Like, for the games we play in Commander Clash, I think Paradox Engine, like, for that style of play is really busted. I don't know if it's more busted than the busted stuff in CEDH. I do think having two ban lists probably makes sense, though. I think casual commander, multiplayer commander, and competitive commander are so different that I don't think it makes sense to have to 
ban cards that would be okay for casual play to make competitive players happy, or vice versa. Ban cards that are probably fine if you're playing multiplayer casual games for the sake of uh, competitive. So I do like the two-ban list plan. But competitive means four-player, right? Competitive is not 1v1. It's still very different, though, I think. Yeah, competitive, there's, like, multiple forms of it, I think. But I think, yes, uh, CDH is multiplayer still. Yeah, so 1v1 versus multiplayer, I think there should be a different ban list. But within multiplayer, like, if it's too good for competitive, it's probably too good for casual, right? And if it's too good for casual, like... What you know, like what's the bearing on competitive? Like, so I I feel like they can share the same ban list. I don't. Yeah. I don't know that it would be too crazy, right? Because it's a format of all one ofs, right? So it's not like you know, competitive list. You play four of these, and then a casual deck you only play one or anything. They they're all kind of the same thing. So don't you think they should just be the same? I I think they should be the same, and also at the same time though, like if if it is a casual game, I'm sure groups will just ignore the ban list. Yeah. Like, like, example, like, if, if the whole group's like, well, okay, whatever, we don't care about Paradox Engine being banned because we're, it's not really that bad for us, so we're just gonna play it anyways. I think it would go the other way, though. I think it would be that there would be cards that would probably be fine for competitive that are too good for less competitive. Like, I can't I imagine that Sylvan Primordial is actually breaking CEDH. Like, I don't even know if that's something I would really see play in competitive EDH when you're seeing Doomsday and all these turn three combo decks. But in a casual game where you're like, oh, I go up three lands, you all go down a land. So I think maybe it hurts competitive, if anything, by having the ban list combined. Yeah. So, I mean, you would have access to Sylvan Primordial or something in competitive. I guess that makes sense. Or also, like, Armageddon. Like, in competitive, if someone Armageddon's, it's cool. Uh, but in casual, people would not like it. So I could see a reason for banning it in casual but not competitive so maybe they could be split but i don't know it seems it seems hard enough like when you play a game of commander with strangers like you have to do a lot of negotiating outside of the rules like yes we both have legal commander decks but are they the same power level are we going to have fun together uh so maybe if you split the bad list there's less negotiating going on and it's more formal i don't know it's an interesting question Next question, Random Dark Rider. This is it. The question on everyone's mind, the fish mail to end all fish mail. At what point will the Commander Clash Beard Wars saga begin? <laughs> well, there's no war because I've already won. So like, <laughs> I I appreciate everyone. I'm going to just settle it here. Uh, you know, I, I really would like Seth. Don't worry. I got it. We're already in agreement that I have just won and there is no war. Problem solved. Vince doesn't have like it's nearly a defined beard as mine. Seth, very good efforts, but I've I've pulled the lead. So I still haven't exactly figured out how Krim has gotten involved in the beard war. Like that that's the part I haven't I haven't figured out. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean we both do have better beards than Vince, so yeah. <laughs> Krim is sitting at home with like a Santa Claus beard. <laughs> it's like, I got this. No one will suspect. <laughs> they can't tell that I've drawn this on. <laughs> Next question. Tomato Matt. Could the Oubliette text box issue be solved by having it reprint in an unset? The what? An unset. Uh, the, wait, what did you, you say You know how unsets that? have like weird templating and, you know, their, their cards may not have the correct rules on them since Oubliette's text is so convoluted. 
we'll have to print it on an unset card <laughs> to, to have it make any sense. I don't know if that would help, though, because I don't think you're allowed to play silver border cards. Maybe if they reprinted it in black border in a unset. But I don't think you could just play a silver border card in your deck, could you? No. Sure yeah. you can. <laughs> so, I don't, so I don't know if it actually would help with the, like, we need to bring down the price for pauper players thing. They should just do an oracle text change and change it straight into Oblivion Ring. <laughs> like, what's, what's wrong with that? <sighs> they could. I mean, it would probably be fine, but they try to stay away from, like, functional changes, I think. Well, Hostage Taker <laughs> disagrees <laughs> with you. <laughs> I mean, I, I think... I think it'd be worse to just like, you know, try to keep the original templating, but no one understands what it is and you have to have like the the, the rules article to explain it versus just change it slightly to Oblivion Ring and just, you know, in 5% of the cases, the card changes, but in the other 95, the card remains exactly the same, but actually understandable now. Yeah. Uh, just, just wait for the next uh, future site type type set. And or we'll just get like black oblivion ring. <laughs> yeah, just print a functional reprint and then ban the original and popper. Yeah. Wolfgang Cloud. So I was watching Commander Top Ten for Core Set 2020 and it got me thinking, why is it Tomer on the podcast? I remember him being on one episode a while ago before Krim was a regular, but not a peep since then. Team Tomer. <laughs> uh it's because Tomer has a potty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's GP Vegas. We had him on the podcast, the podcast once. <laughs> Aggressively swearing. Basically. You know what's funny? He never swears like yeah. normally though. Like when, when we play Commander Clash, he's fine, but on that podcast, man, I don't know what got him riled up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a classic. <laughs> I mean, Tomer, I'm sure, will be on the podcast again. I think the actual answer is more just, like, scheduling and uh, having it work out. But I'm sure that Tomer will be on another special episode in the future. Yeah. All right, last question. Free Jazz, now that Paradox Engine has been banned and I've lost $50, is it time to make my favorite creature of all time a commander by eradering Chromanticore to become a legend? Relatedly, are there other non-legendary creatures who should really be legendary? Oh, Nephilim's a big one. Nephilim's like the easiest and probably best answer to that. But uh Chromanticore is also a really a really good one. I think the Nephilim, I wish we could do a Nephilim Commander Clash, but Moto won't let us. How about lands? Like isn't Gaia's Cradle non-legendary? What, you can't play lands that? as your commander anyway. It is legendary though. <laughs> no, what, what what there are like some lands that are Oh no, Valakut. Valakut is not legendary. Valakut, yeah, that's a that is kind of odd. It's weird. There, there are a bunch of old things. Are there any good creatures besides Nephilim that are not legendary? I feel like today, pretty much everything that could be good in Commander is a legend. Like I feel like Wizards really focuses on that, but I, there's got to be other older cards that I'm not thinking of that would be super sweet Commanders that aren't. You know what a card I wish was not legendary for gameplay reasons? Thalia. <laughs> I, I just want to stack up Thalias on someone. <laughs> like four Thalias. You're like, okay. Uh, good good Pondra there at five mana. <laughs> just got to spark double it, Richard. You can do it now. <laughs> spark double, Helm of Host. We got it. We got it. Helm of the Host is true. That is very true. You know what? Actually, I think there's some... Um... Some good ones from, like, Shard's Block, like Prince of Thralls. There's a bunch of, like, 
big three color things that Hellkite Overlord, Godsire, that seem like, I think if they were printed today, they would probably be legends, Imperial Archangel, that are not legends for some reason. Yeah. Some of the big dragons and demons feel they should be legendary. Like Runescar Demon, feel that should be legendary. So that's all our fish meal for this week. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, you can send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that that brings us to the end of episode 233 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Cribb, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. And, yeah, we will be back next week to talk about whatever happens in the world of magic. So, until then, this is the crew signing out. <laughs>